0: Just this past year, the Board of Missions started an extensive survey of international justice ministries that we could be involved in. So we looked at a number of different agencies, and we kept coming back to the international justice ministry as a ministry that had an effect upon helping the helpless in the world, the people that felt that they were harassed and hopeless, the people without power. The IJM had a very important and practical ministry and so we and the board of missions have determined that subject to your approval of the budget and the raising of the faith promise program we are going to support international justice ministry as a ministry hopefully for many years here at black rock then we went back to international justice ministry and we said who's the best speaker that could come to black rock and introduce this ministry to our church and they agreed it was reverend larry martin Who is the Southeast representative for church mobilization? And you're in for a great treat. He had a great first sermon. He's from Atlanta. If he had come to New England last year, last week he would have experienced winter. Now, hopefully, he will will experience spring. We welcome Larry to our pulpit. Let's give him a Black Rock welcome.
1: Actually, last weekend I was in Tampa and it snowed, so let's begin in prayer. Father in heaven, you promise in your holy word that you indeed reward those who believe you exist and who earnestly seek you. We would simply ask that you would reward us in these moments, reward us by speaking something of your truth to us. Something with the power to make us different. We pray, O Lord, that we would have our hearts wide open, that your word would penetrate our hearts, that it would take root, flourish, and bear fruit, so that the world would know your goodness, so that this church, your church, would be strengthened. And you would be glorified in the name of our brother and savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, and he calls us, as his people, to engage this world he loves. So just get out in it and let them know. This is your mission week. And as we focus on this world that God so loves, I just want to pause for a moment And have us ask this question. What is the world having the hardest time believing about our God? About our Christian faith? What is it the hardest thing for the people out there to believe about what we know to be true? And I think it is simply the idea that our God is good. Because there is just so much suffering and pain out there. There are so many people that are harassed and are helpless and hopeless. And they're having a hard time believing our God is good. I'm not going to ask you to turn into Psalm 10 because you probably couldn't see your Bible. So I'm just going to read it to you. Psalm 10 starts with this very hard question. And aren't you grateful that we have a God that's not afraid of hard questions? It simply says, why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? You see, this is the question the world is asking. They're not asking, is there a God? Scripture tells us that's self-evident. They're asking, God, I am in a world of hurt. Are you paying attention? And if you're paying attention, do you actually care about it? And if you care, what are you going to do about it? You've heard statistics like this before, but today in our world, 21,000 children will just die because their parents can't give them enough to eat. It'll happen again tomorrow and the next day. And those parents are having a hard time believing that God is good when they see their children suffer so. There are a billion and a half people in our world who have absolutely no access to medical care. They're not arguing about whether their medical plan allows them to choose their primary care physician. They just don't get a doctor. right? And so when their children are sick and suffering, they know there's medical care available out there, but it's just not available to them. And they're having a hard time believing our God is good. In the 12 years I've worked at International Justice Mission, I've put on about a million and a half miles. I've traveled all over the world, and I've been to all the major cities in our world. And it doesn't matter what city I'm in. Almost everywhere you look, you find children each day just waking up on the streets. They have spent the night there, and they don't know where they'll spend the next night. They don't know where their next meal will come from or Who will abuse them next? And they're just having a hard time believing our God is good. So I ask myself, well, what is God's plan for making it believable to this hurting world out there that indeed he is good? And the answer from Scripture is just quite plain. Jesus is speaking to his followers in Matthew 5, and he simply says this. He says, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine among men that they would see your good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Now, notice it doesn't say you could be the light of the world or you might be the light of the world or if you men sign up for the men's breakfast, you could be the light of the world. It just says you are it. Now, you might want to say to God, God, you know, no ideas are bad. We're just brainstorming here, God, but this is a bad plan. Have you looked at this group? I just say to God, you need a plan B. But there is no plan B. God is telling us here that he has decided to stake his reputation on us, his followers. Now, the Apostle Paul reinforces this idea in one of the more astounding verses in all of Scripture, when you actually take it in consideration. Second Corinthians 520 simply says God is making his appeal to the world through us. So as followers of Jesus, we just have to take these words to heart, don't we? And when people are having a hard time believing God is good because they don't know about the possibility of a saving relationship with God that's available through Jesus, well what do we do? We send out our evangelists, don't we? We plant churches. We see that the scriptures get translated and printed and we lead young life clubs and We even learn to share our own testimonies so that people can know this message of salvation. And when they're hungry, we send our food and we teach them to grow better crops. When they're sick, we send our doctors and our medicine. When there's a microbe in the water, we drill clean water wells. And when they lack education, we build schools and we train up teachers. And in doing all these things, we make it believable to this hurting world out there that our God is good But there's another category of suffering in our world that doesn't happen because people haven't heard the gospel or because they don't have enough to eat or they lack medicine or education. They're the victims of a man-made sort of suffering that happens when an oppressor comes on the scene. They're the victims of injustice in our world. Now, I think here in Fairfield County today, we could... Think about this term injustice, and it could just be rather confusing, couldn't it? Because for most of us, it's just so far from our experience of life. Yet at the same time, aren't we as Americans made to feel like victims of injustice every day, all the time? I mean, this actually happened to me yesterday here in Fairfield. I was coming to my hotel, and I... I. Needed to get some things at the grocery store, so I stopped in. I was kind of in a hurry because I'd been waiting at the airport and getting on the plane and waiting on the tarmac and waiting for a rental car. And finally, I get my car and I'm driving and stuck in traffic. And so I'm kind of wanting to move through the grocery store quickly. And I get my few items there and I go to the express lane. Now, these things have rules, right? And the one I was at clearly said 10 items or less. But I was kind of upset that I had to wait, and then I started counting, right? The guy in front of me had 16 items. It was like a huge injustice, and I wanted to sue this guy, and I worked with all these lawyers, and I could. (laughs) Just so you know, when the Bible talks about injustice, this is not what it's talking about. Just to be clear, when the Bible talks about injustice, it's talking about a particular kind of sin, Simply put, it's the abuse of power. It's when somebody who has more power abuses that power to take from someone with less power the good things that God wanted them to have, their life, their liberty, their dignity, the fruits of their love and their labor. It's the abuse of power. Ecclesiastes 4.1 says, Behold, I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. on the side of the oppressor was power. This is the sin that King David was guilty of, right? When he was walking along the walls of his palace and he looks down and he sees this beautiful woman Bathsheba and he just doesn't care that she's another man's wife. He's king after all, right? He has the power to take her. And he does. And then in a further abuse of his power, he gives instructions for her husband to be sent to the front lines of battle with instructions for his murder. And when the prophet Nathan comes and confronts David, it's not about the adultery that he confronts him, but it's about how he abused his power as king, first to take another man's wife and then to take that man's very life. In our psalm today, it talks about another picture of abuse during King David's reign. It talks about the Oppressor lying in wait near the villages. From ambush, he murders the innocent, watching in secret for his victims. He lies in wait like a lion in cover. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. His victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under his strength. Now, I grew up going to Baptist Sunday school, and we read through the Psalms, and I'm pretty sure that when we read through Psalm 10, I probably thought to myself, wow. I'm sure glad I didn't live 3,000 years ago when things were so bad, right? Because this does just seem a little exaggerated, doesn't it? A little melodramatic. But in my 12 years at International Justice Mission, I've just gotten out and seen what happens to the poor in our world. I've sat with a little 10-year-old girl in Nairobi who ran an errand for her mother to the market, and there was a man lingering in the bushes like a lion in cover He pounced on her, and she was crushed, and she was having a hard time believing our God was good. Perhaps the best way to introduce you to what this kind of injustice looks like in our world is to introduce you to some of the victims of injustice I've met in my 12 years at International Justice Mission. We're at IJM, a collection of Christian uh, lawyers, investigators, trauma social workers, and others, Uh, When I started in IJM in 2001, there were about 40 of us, and today there are about 650 serving in 23 offices in 17 countries around our world. And what we do is we take cases of this kind of injustice where those who are serving the poor just see the people they're serving being crushed by those a little stronger than them, and we seek to intervene. The first girl I'd like to introduce you to is a young girl from India named Shama. We met Shama when she was 10 years old, but something terrible happened in her family three years earlier. Her mother was about to give birth, and it was clear that her mother was just going to die if they couldn't bring a doctor to their rural village. But the doctor would only come if the family had the equivalent of $30 to pay him. Each day, Shama's family earned just a little over a dollar, and each day they used what little they had just to get through that day. They'd never seen that much money in a lump sum ever. And the only way they could get it was to go to the village moneylender who would only give the family the money if they agreed to sell Shama to him to become a slave. So this is how Shama now lives her life. Six days a week, six days a week, she works 12 to 14 hours a day. And all she does is just sit on one place on the floor and roll cigarettes by hand all day. No time for play. No time for school. In fact, we heard about Shama's case because another mission agency actually built a school in Shama's village. And then they were shocked when over half the children in the village couldn't come because they didn't belong to their own parents. She just sits on this one place and rolls cigarettes by hand. If she doesn't roll 2,000 cigarettes every day, she gets a beating. The trick is she can only get out of this slavery If she can pay it off in a lump sum, she can't work it off over time, and it's calculated with massive interest so that Shama will be a slave her entire life and even pass her slavery on to her children and her children's children. Now, this is completely illegal in India where Shama lives, but how many slaves like Shama do you imagine there are in India alone? The United Nations tells us at least 14 million There are at least 27 million slaves in our world today. And like Shama, they're all having a hard time believing our God is good. Or what about a young man in Kenya I know named David, who you would all just adore. One day David was renting a video, and he was walking home to to watch the video, excited to see it, when some policemen just pulled up right next to him on the street and ordered him to get in the car. So he got in the car. And then they told him, give us all your money, or we're going to charge you with a crime and throw you in jail. Now, David, knowing he didn't want to go into a Kenyan jail where everyday people are carried out because of disease, abuse, and malnutrition, gave them quickly everything he had. It was about $1.50 in Kenyan shillings. The policemen pulled their cruiser over and told David he could go, but there was some confusion. And in the confusion, the other policeman took out his revolver, and he shot David twice shot him in the right arm and in the side and he just collapsed in a heap. The policemen didn't care what happened to him. They just drove away and left him. David was able to get himself up in great pain and he made his way across the street where fortunately there was a medical clinic that could treat him. The bone in his right arm was so badly crushed by the bullet that it had to be amputated. But he was recovering. And later the Police heard about David's recovery, and they came to the medical clinic. They saw him there. They shackled him to the bed, and they charged him with a crime, robbery with violence. And when he recovered, he was taken off to a Kenyan prison. Now, two things you should know about this charge, robbery with violence. The first thing is you can't get bail. So David is stuck in a prison until his trial, which will take at least a year and often as long as two. And secondly, it carries either the sentence of life in prison or death by hanging. How is David supposed to believe in the goodness of a God when those who are charged with his protection are actually his abusers? The World Bank did a study two or three years ago where they went to 17 very poor countries. They asked the poor, what's your biggest source of insecurity? And to us, the shocking news came back that It's actually the police, the police who are underpaid and they seek to supplement their incomes by preying on those who are the weakest in their society, the poor. And like David, they're having a hard time believing in the goodness of our God. Perhaps the darkest face of injustice I know is represented by another young Indian girl named Joy T. When Joy T was 14 years old, she was in an abusive family situation and one day she was wondering what to do about life. She was at the local railway platform. She was begging for handouts and thinking about what she should do with her life. And some women noticed her distress, and they approached her and asked her what was wrong. And Joy T. told them something or her story, and they said, well, why don't you just come with us to Bombay, to Mumbai, where we know a restaurant where you can get a job. And Joy T. told me she really didn't trust these women, but she was so desperate, and she didn't know where to turn So reluctantly, she agreed to go with them, and sure enough, on the way to Bombay, she was given some tea that had been drugged, and when she awoke, she found that she'd been sold into a brothel for about $280. She told the brothel keeper, you can't make me do this kind of work. I'm just 14 years old. I'm going to the police. But she never got the opportunity. She was stuffed into an underground holding cell. For several days she was beaten and beaten. She was scalded. She was forced to drink lots and lots of alcohol until finally she relented and agreed to be bought and sold and bought and sold that first night six times, 20 and 30 times a day, day after day, for weeks and months and years in a city with one of the worst HIV-AIDS problems in our world. Now, how is Joy-T supposed to believe in the goodness of our God? UNICEF tells us that there are about two million Joy-Ts in our world today, all having the same problem. So how do we as followers of Jesus regard this kind of suffering, this kind of harassment, this kind of helplessness? Well, I think we begin by asking, how does our Heavenly Father regard it? And we see the answer to that at the end of Psalm 10, where it says, You hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed, in order that man who is of the earth may terrify no more. Or Psalm 35, where it says, Who is like you, O Lord? You rescue the poor from those too strong for them, the poor and the needy from those who would oppress them. We could go on and on citing scriptures that just tell us again and again that our God hates injustice and he wants it to stop. In fact, uh, when you hear that, you have to say, Well, my goodness. If he hates it and he wants it to stop, what exactly is his plan for doing something about it? And the answer, again, from Scripture is quite plain. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, right a famous Christian calendar verse, he says, He's told you, O man, O woman, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. On God's short list of the three things he tells us would please him, the very first thing on the list is that we would do justice. These are the same three things that Jesus told the religious people of his day not to neglect. Justice, mercy, and faith. Isaiah 117 couldn't make it plainer. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the breast. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. You see, God makes it plain that we're his plan for taking on these kinds of abuses in our world. But if you're like me, this is just a little overwhelming, right? I mean, what are we supposed to do about taking on the world's corrupt police? As many as possibly 100 million slaves in our world? What are we supposed to do about children stuck in brothels? It could just make you feel stuck to your chair by the weight of all of this. And it's in times like this that I'm encouraged by another story in scripture where the followers of Jesus found themselves in this same situation. It's a famous story of the feeding of the five thousand that you read in all four of the Gospels. Jesus has gone to this remote location, right? He wanted to sort of be alone, but people were hungry for his teaching. And so a huge crowd followed him into the wilderness And Jesus obliges them by teaching them. And he's teaching and teaching and teaching. And as he's teaching, people are eating all the food that they brought with them. And now it's late in the day. And the apostles come to Jesus and say, well, Jesus, you better stop teaching and send the people home so they can get something to eat. And what does Jesus say to the apostles? He says, no, I actually want you to feed them. Now, I think it's interesting in Scripture, isn't it, how patient the apostles are with Jesus? Because they explain to Jesus what apparently he didn't understand, right? And they say, you see, Jesus, there are at least 5,000 hungry people here. It would take a half year's wages to feed them all. And frankly, Jesus, we just don't have that kind of cash on us. So back to you, Jesus. Now, isn't this precisely the situation we find ourselves in? There's this huge need out there and there's nothing unclear about our God's desire that we would take on that need. But we look at the enormity of the need and the resources we feel like we have to take on such needs. And we think, oh, my goodness, God, it's so great that you think we could do this justice, but we just don't have what it takes. So back to you, Jesus. So what does Jesus do in this situation? He simply asks two questions. The first question is, well, what do you have? What do you have? And they look around, right? And they find this little boy with his sack lunch, five barley loaves and two fish. And this is what they put forward to address the need of feeding 5,000. This is where the Apostle Andrew comes into the picture, right? Must have had something like an advanced degree in public policy from Yale because he says this, what are these among so many? This would be me. I've taken a math course and I've been to graduate school. And frankly, if you were as sophisticated as I am and you knew the history behind this struggle and the sociology of it all, you'd know there's really nothing for us to do but sit in the paralysis of despair. But what does Jesus say? He simply asks, will you give it to me? What do you have and will you give it to me? This is the point in our story where Jesus is telling us, that he'll take responsibility for the miracle. All he's asking from this little boy, and all he's asking from you and from me, is that we would come forward in obedience with what we have been given and trust him to do the miracle. And what does he do? He feeds the 5,000. I can tell you today that Shama is no longer a slave. It was 11 years ago when I first started at IJM that we sent a team of lawyers to India. We'd heard about this slavery, but never about anyone getting anyone out. So we sent the team over, and they went to Shama's village. We were able to document Shama's case and 10 other cases of slavery. And in the process, we saw slaves everywhere we turned We took those 11 documented cases to the courts on a Friday and we made an appointment to see the judge the following Monday. So all weekend long, our team is just praying and praying and praying that God will bless this little lunch of a report, right? And then someone on our team had this crazy idea that in the middle of nowhere, South India, we would find some local Christians that we could go pray with. So we found this little church that met on Sunday evening and we just went to pray with them. And who should turn out to be the guest preacher in that church that very evening? The judge. Turns out he's a sincere follower of Jesus. He cared deeply about these children. And he didn't just free the 11. He helped IJM free 494 children out of slavery, into freedom, back into school, and the hope of a better life. And of course, at International Justice Mission, we believe that this all happened because everyone that works at IJM is an absolute genius, right? I mean, do we have a plan or what? No, what we have is a God of justice who's waiting for all of us, right, to just show up with a little bit of obedience and trust him to do the miracle he yearns to do through us. David is actually no longer in a Kenyan prison. David has actually graduated from law school, and today he works in his own slum community protecting the rights of those who would otherwise be abused. IJM was referred David's case. We were able to quickly ascertain with our professional investigators that the crimes that David had been charged with happened after he was already in the medical clinic having his arm amputated and receiving care. We were able then to go on and discover the facts, the evidence behind what had happened to David and build a case against the policeman who did this to David. And today, they're awaiting their day in court. In fact, David was here in the United States. He was interviewed on national public radio. And even though he was on radio, he was waving his good left arm. He was asked, on the day I graduate from law, he was asked, what will you do when you graduate from law school? And he said, on the day I graduate from law school, evil will be having a new enemy. I think that too often we think that to do this kind of work, you have to do something like graduate from law school. But you don't have to graduate from law school to give evil a new enemy today. Again, you just offer up your obedience and leave the miracles to God. Joy T. and I had a chance to sit down together, and I heard a bit more of her story that I hadn't heard before. She said that one day when she was in the brothel, another worker in the brothel told her about a God named Jesus. And in desperation, she said, I just began to chant, Jesus, 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 Jesus. How does Jesus answer such a prayer as this? It turns out that within a week of Joy T. just beginning to chant the name of our Lord, that an IJM investigator showed up in the midst of her nightmare. He was able to collect up enough evidence that he could go to a secure police contact who would then lead a raid and get Joy T. out. Eventually, Joy T. was placed in a Christian aftercare home where she began to heal. And one day she heard we were going back into the same district that she was rescued out of, and she said... Wait, let me go with you. Let me go back into that painful place because I know my rescue was for a purpose so I could help you rescue others. And that day, Joy T. led us back into that area and she helped us rescue this girl, Kalindi, you'll see. And Kalindi then said, Wait, wait, wait. Before you got here, the police, some corrupt police called the brothel owners to warn them that you were coming. And he wasn't able to take us all and hide us, but he took some of the younger girls and let's roll the video. The video with no sound. And what you're seeing here are these girls who were hidden away. They were stuck in a hole in the ground. And they're literally coming out of the darkness of sexual slavery into the light of day and the hope of a better life. These are girls that are 13, 14, and 15. And all of this is happening, of course, because people like you helped IJM show up for Joy T. And Joy T. for Kalindi. And Kalindi. Kalindi. For these girls. Have you ever stopped to think, why did Jesus feed the 5,000 the way he did? Why didn't he just do that manna thing all over again? You know, manna, back to the teaching. I think Jesus fed the 5,000 the way he did for one reason. He wanted one little boy to have a very cool day. I mean, can you imagine him going home to his mom? Mom, guess what Jesus did with my lunch today? (laughs) Now, theologically, you all know Jesus didn't need the little boy's lunch. But did he just love him so much that he wanted to say, wait, wait, wait. Let me show you what I can do with your obedience today. Do we imagine this little boy will ever forget this day? But imagine, on the other hand, what a forgettable day he would have had. What a small day he would have had if he'd have done the common sense thing, looked around and saw there certainly wasn't enough for everybody. I think I'll just go behind the rock and eat my lunch myself. And I think this is all too often the space in which we live. We just make these kind of common sense decisions where God is calling us to take what we have been given into the places of darkness and need in our world where people are yearning to know his goodness. Earlier, we talked about how God tells us we're the light of the world. But in all honesty, too often, we don't feel like our light shines very brightly. Well, let me invite you to an adventure today an adventure to take the light you have been given into the places in our world where people are yearning to know God's goodness. And I'll tell you that in that darkness, your light will shine brightly, and you'll have the kind of day this little boy experienced where he felt and knew God's power, God's presence, and his pleasure. And this is the invitation to Black Rock Church today. This is the invitation to you, whether you walk into this world of need where people are yearning to know God's goodness because they don't know the gospel. Or they don't have the bare essentials or they just need someone to restrain the hand of the oppressor. So what are the next steps? Well. I think the first step is to make sure that this is not about international justice mission, but it's about God's passion for justice. And you can read the scriptures with a fresh look at these verses pertaining to God, to justice. Reading good news about injustice, a book that we have in the back, is another thing you can do. Some of you will simply want to pay for the rescue the poor can't afford for yourself. And you can do that at our website. You can also sign up to be a prayer partner with IJM. And every Thursday, we send out emails. Some of you just need to go on our website and look at the job openings we have. And some of you who are students will look into our internship programs. But I invite you to offer up your obedience and trust God to do something mighty in this work. The one thing I want to ask you all to do as we close is... President Obama has uh, and you have these little cards in your bulletins. President Obama has said he wants to make the next four years uh, a time where he pays attention, where the government pays attention to the problem of modern day slavery. But as you know, it's so easy for things to just fall to the bottom of the priority list. Uh, So the president has said these things, now it's time for action. And we would love for you just to ask President Obama to execute on the things that he has already said that he would wanna do. It's a very bipartisan thing, but if you would just let them know that the people here of Fairfield County care about this problem of modern day slavery and would like their elected representatives to do the same. And if you'll fill this out and drop it off at our table in the back, Uh, We would much appreciate it. Let me also note that if you don't want to hear anything from IJM, no communication, email, or any mail, just check the box and we won't bother you in any way. But hopefully, you'll want to know more about us. Let me close in prayer. Father in heaven, now that we're aware of all of this suffering in our world, all of this injustice, we would pray that you would bring rescue to those who are oppressed. That it would be quick and complete So figure out how to mobilize us, please. But at the same time, uh, we pray for our own rescues. We pray that you would rescue us from all things that bind us, all things that are fearful, petty, trivial, Small, so that we would know the joy of being used by you for the things that matter to you in a world yearning to know your goodness. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.